Well, I'm not the one who's supposed to be starting the webcast today. I'm Jeff Smelser, and you are watching BibleQuest.tv. Uh, somebody else is supposed to be here starting the webcast and running the show today. Jonathan, is that you? Um, I don't think so, but welcome to BibleQuest. There he is. It's got his right there. Yeah. Hello, it's me. Hi, Drew. <laughs> I'm still trying to get my new office organized here, and you can see I'm a little dishuffled, but I know you should have seen the look on your face, Jeff. All of a sudden, there you are, like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the second hand hit the top of the hour. I'm not usually in control of the opening screen or anything, but I was today for reasons we don't need to go into, and so I started that at the top of the hour, and and nobody was here. (laughs) Oh, we're okay. Uh, Let me get to, here we go. Um. Okay, so welcome everybody to BibleQuest.tv. Uh, this is the Tuesday edition, and Jeff runs and does the Wednesday edition, so maybe you thought you were popping into Wednesday over there, Jeff. Yeah, it's kind of a time warp. Yeah. We're, still, we're still missing Scott. Can you all uh, hear me? Yeah, I hear you, Scott. Uh, okay, I've got a message that says, unable to share because host has stopped it. Uh, you don't want to share. <laughs> oh, no, start. It says, unable to start video because host has stopped it. Okay. Now I've got a thing saying host has asked me to start. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is too much. All right. See, what happens when I get a little uh, confused, I share my confusion equally amongst all of you. Good to see you guys, Jeff. Good to have you here today on this Tuesday afternoon. How you doing? I'm doing very well. Good. Good. Jonathan, glad you're here with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And Scott? The, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm getting rained on. Yeah, you're getting rained on. Why are you sitting outside in the rain? I like your uh, like Because I couldn't make it to the office in time, so I came to the library, but the room I was going to use was used. Okay, all right. It starts raining much under the ceiling down there. All right. Okay, you're going to have to speak up. Your microphone's turn, or maybe you can turn your microphone up a little bit. Or I'll get closer. There we go. There we go. Okay, everyone. Really good to see you, everyone. Um, We're so glad we're seeing people coming in on the Zoom app. If you're watching the program today on the Zoom app, be sure to open up your Q&A window and just type away any comments or questions. We're going to have some very interesting things to say to talk about today. If you're coming in from the uh, Facebook page, uh, I believe we're sharing it on Scott's Facebook page, right, Jonathan? Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's what we're coming in on. Okay, so use the comment box there to text in any questions you have. Keep in mind, the Facebook page does have a delay, approximately uh, about 13, 14 seconds. Okay, we are going to be talking about, well, we had the title up there about the uh, what had changed and what have, hasn't changed in the New Testament. I'm sorry, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So rather than just babbling on, Scott, why don't you, where are we going? All right, so we're going to be talking about what changed and what hasn't changed from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And to get us started, I'd like to ask the panelists to just cite some texts that give us some big pictures on the relationship of the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. We won't discuss those yet. We can discuss them later. But let's just get them up front. What are some verses, just citing them, that talk about the relationship of the Old Covenant to the New Covenant? And then we're going to talk about some views that people have that 
are not correct. So starting off, what are some verses uh, that help us understand the relationship of the Old Covenant to the New Covenant? So much Romans 15.4, whatsoever things written for time were written for our learning, and so on. Very good. Uh, what else? Uh, I don't... Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, the whole chapter talking about the New Covenant, and um, that later quoted in Hebrews says it's a better covenant. Right, right. Very good. What else? First Corinthians. Go was ahead, Drew. Jeremiah, was that the one where he said, uh, I'm going to make a new covenant, not like the old covenant? Yes, exactly. That's a major, major statement there. Yeah, yeah. And we talk more in detail about that later. That's right. First Corinthians 10, 11. Uh, These things happened unto them by way of example, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages are come. All right. Very good. Second uh, Corinthians chapter three. In Second Corinthians chapter three, um, where is it? I don't know exactly the. Uh, there we go. Well, Verse seven, starting um, that if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze on Moses' face because of his glory, which was brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So, yeah. Another one from Luke twenty-four. Uh, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day and remission of sins should be preached in his name unto all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And he said, he started talking to them about what was written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning him. Hebrews seven eighteen. there's a disannulling of a foregoing commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. All right. Very good. Some more, more texts that are in line with the one that Jeff just mentioned. Hmm. Well, um, Colossians chapter two, um, and let me turn there, uh, verse, um, 14, having blotted out the bond written in ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. He's taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, etc. Therefore, let no man judge you in respect of a meat or judge you in meat or drink or in respect of a feast day or a new moon or Sabbath day, which are shadow, shadow of things to come. Very good. And one more, uh, Galatians 3, the law, the law of Moses, was a what to bring us to Christ? A tutor? Yeah. Guide, mediator, yeah. Guide. Faith in Christ came, you are no longer under the tutor. All right. So those are some of the big pictures. So the Old Testament's important, but it's not the better covenant that we're under today. So now let's start thinking about some ways that people misunderstand it. The Judaizers in Acts 15 and the Judaizers that troubled the Galatians. What was their view of the Old Testament? That every part of it, well, maybe not every part of it, but at least the circumcision part was a big thing, was a requirement for salvation. Well, it was, it was kind of the view that Jesus refers to when he talks about you or they that search the scriptures thinking that you find mm-hmm. life in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they thought they could be justified by the law. Mm-hmm. And and they thought that Gentiles had to go back, and, and so they're getting the Galatians to be circumcised and following the Jewish calendar, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, didn't they, they, they thought that when the Messiah came, that they, the Messiah belonged to him, to them, that he was the Jewish Messiah. Therefore, if you're a Gentile, you need to become a Jew first, then you can be a Christian. Yeah. And so the whole book of Galatians is a refutation of that view, and we can sum it up with the verse that we already mentioned. The law was a tutor to bring us to Christ, but once you're in Christ, you're no longer under the tutor. Kind of like, I think we all had second grade teachers, right? Did anybody check yesterday with your second grade teacher what you're supposed to do today? No. 
Why? Not in second we grade. That. We're, we're, we're not still under the tutelage well, of our second I'm sure grade. my second grade teacher is no longer with us. <laughs> well, but, but that aside, I because would, you're a senior, senior citizen. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> I'm right behind you. Uh, okay. What was the polytheistic Gnostic view of the Old Testament? Which, according to the Gnostics, uh, the ones that believed in the polytheism, what was their view of the Old Testament? Well, they, they had a concept that the Old Testament uh, revealed a, a deity who was mean-spirited, evil, that the world that he created was evil. Um, they, they, they uh, I guess in short, that's what they thought. Yeah. And so then the New Testament is kind of a, almost a complete break with the Old Testament. Yeah. It's like, that was bad. It was a different... God, it was a bad God, and then Jesus comes along, there's something good here. Now, interestingly, next question, your stereotypical faith-only evangelical that thinks obedience is not necessary, and we don't need to obey God, what tends to be his view of the Old Testament? Yeah, he tends to view, view, view the Old Testament as an example of a of a bad system. It was a law and it was legalistic and it's just the opposite of what God has in mind. Yeah. And it's a little bit like the Gnostic view. It, I never thought about that, but you know, it kind of is. Yeah. yeah back then you had to obey God and God was mean. And, and I know, but I've heard so many people talk about it, uh, brethren in Christ talk about the old Testament kind of that way as in, you know, well, the Old Testament was just, um, well, what you said. Yeah, true. What, what you what, the, uh, the one that took the um, once, uh, yeah, once saved, always said, were they, were they believing that the Old Testament or that, that system, God failed and made a mistake and he had to come up with a new one? Uh, they, they wouldn't say that. Uh, they would probably say like we would, that uh, from Hebrews, quoting Jeremiah, the first one having a fault was replaced with the second. But mm -hmm. we see that that's part of God's greater plan. Um, but they see, like I asked a friend of mine one time that was a very, very militant, uh, uh, faith-only justification type person. I asked him, uh, in the Old Testament, were people justified by faith or by their works? And he had trouble with that because he he'd not really thought about it, but in his mind, it seemed like, well, back then you were justified by works, maybe. And now you're, and no, at any time, you know, like in Romans 3, after it talks about why law and why our works won't save us, what two examples does it go to, to underscore the fact that we need to put our faith in God and what we need is forgiveness. In what passage did you cite? Romans 4. Same oh, David Abraham. And David. David, yeah, you know, who, who said, blessed is the person whose sins are forgiven. All right, so with that, we're going to start turning our attention, and then we'll go in some other directions, but to one particular view of the Old Covenant, and it looks like it makes sense at first, because uh, I think most in our audience would agree that today we don't have or need to do the temple rituals, right? Yeah. The yeah. high priest doesn't need to enter into the holy place and sprinkle the ark with with blood from a sacrifice once a year because 
Nobody knows who the high priest, besides the fact that it's done away, nobody knows who the high priest is. The temple's not there. The ark's gone, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. But we agree that we should still not kill. We should still not commit adultery. So Jeff, pull up this chart. Let's look at this argument that may at first seem convincing. All right. Here we go. Right here. Uh, so this is an argument uh, often made by Seventh-day Adventists and perhaps others. And it says, the law of God is eternal. It's what God wrote on stone. It, we have an expression, right? If we're making plans and we're going to leave them tentative, we might say, let's pencil that in. And we say, well, nothing's written on stone. stone. The idea is once it's written on stone, it's what? It's permanent. Yeah, yeah. So the law of God was written by God on tables of stone. Where was it put? In the ark. In the ark. That's the moral law. And that is not established. But on the other hand, the law of Moses was written by who? Written by Moses. And it was put in a scroll or a book. And was that inside the ark? No. No, it's outside of the ark. And that's the ceremonial law. And so in this Seventh-day Adventist view, the animal sacrifices, are, is that in the Ten Commandments written on stone? No, no. that's in the law of so Moses. They say that's not the law of God. That's the law of Moses. Yeah. But the Sabbath. That's in the Ten Commandments. So that's on stone. Yeah. So that's a moral law engraven on stone. That sounds pretty, pretty, uh, pretty convincing when you put it that way yeah yeah it does um and one time talking with a, a seventh-day Adventist minister he was emphasizing that the most important of all of God's laws are the ten commandments you know God had a lot of laws you got these ceremonial ones you got the moral ones and which of course are superior the moral or the ceremonial well the moral yeah, and that's the ones on the Ten Commandments. That's engraven in stone. So he said, those are the greatest laws of all. And of the Ten Commandments, he said, the one commandment that was more important than any other one was keep the Sabbath. And if you're, if you're familiar with Seventh-day Adventist uh, history, who was it that saw the vision of the Ten Commandments and there was a halo around one commandment? Oh, I don't know. Was that snow or who was that? It was the lady. Oh, uh, yeah, LNG White? Yeah, 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 I think so. All right, so um, there's one big, 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 big problem with saying that of all the laws, the greatest ones are the Ten Commandments, the ones written on stone, the ones kept inside the ark. Well, Jesus, when he's asked, when he gives number one and two of what the greatest laws are, he quotes from Deuteronomy 6 and from Leviticus 19, I believe. Yeah. And what's the law in Deuteronomy 6? Love, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Is that some ceremonial law? No. Is that imperfect? No. Uh, our, our following it may be imperfect, <laughs> but the law is perfect. Is That's that, kind of the starting point for the rest of the law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not a temporary law. That's not a law that's, that's abolished. That's, Jesus said, the greatest law of all. But where was it kept? Inside the ark? No. No. Engraven on stone? No. Nope. No. 
And then when he said the second greatest commandment, it still wasn't one of the Ten Commandments. It was Leviticus 6, same thing. So fundamentally, that's, that's just a huge, huge flaw in this system. So now, these things, let's, let's, wait, wait a minute. This, Scott, the system that you were explaining uh, about the law of Moses is different from the law of God. And he goes through and he says, well, it was written by Moses. It was not. Where does, where is the, where is the scriptural evidence that there are two sets of laws here? Well, I would agree that if you look at the Old Testament, do we read some laws that we could adequately describe as ceremonial? Sure. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you had said the word that we could describe it. So it's yes. really us describing it as ceremonial versus moral, right? Right. Uh, and the emphasis, uh, now a moral person should do the ceremonies as God uh, uh, teaches. I'm not sure if the word ceremony is used in the Old Testament or not, is it? No, that's the point I was trying to get to. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if it is. But the instructions on what to do with the different parts of the animal in the sacrifice, I think we could acknowledge your ceremonial. Jeff? Hey, let's, uh, this is a request to our viewers here. Go to BibleHub.com or Bible Gateway or Concordance or something and do a search. Might be in one translation, might, be, might not be in another, but uh, see where you find the word ceremony in the Old Testament to our viewers. Maybe they can help us out with yeah. that real quickly. And here's another question that I'm going to... Uh, step back and you guys take this any direction you want to but a question for the panelists and for our viewers what about this designation that the ten commandments are the law of god and the rest of the pentateuch that was written on scrolls and not engraved on stone is the law of moses is that defensible is it true that the Ten Commandments are just called the law of God and the other things are called the law of Moses. So that's something to be thinking about. All right. Do you want to answer that right now? If you're ready, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I, uh, so I'm sure you've got the passage on the tip of your tongue where we can see uh, something in the Old Testament referred to as the law of God that was not specifically part of the Ten Commandments. All right. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. Verse 22. When the days of their purification, so this is when Jesus is a baby, he's been um, circumcised in verse 21, verse 22, when the days of the purification according to the, wait, we're in Luke chapter 2, verse 22. Oh, okay. Um, so when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were fulfilled. Okay. And in the law of Moses on the 40th day, the woman was to take her firstborn son, et cetera, et cetera. Wait, 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 wait. But that's, that's not in the 10 commandments though. Right. And it calls it the law of Moses, which the seventh day Adventists would agree with. They would so, say, yeah. So, the law, so oh, okay. Okay. All right. All right. Gotcha. But then look at verse 23. Uh, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Ah, well, that's different. And verse 24. Uh, and offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, and then quoting here from Leviticus, the 12th chapter, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Yeah. So it first off refers to it as the law of Moses, but then twice it refers to this text that is ceremonial, had to do with animal sacrifices, 
was not written on stone, was not kept in the ark. It's the law of the Lord. That kind of suggests that the law of Moses was from God. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So Moses did just make it up. <laughs> right, right. That's, that's, there, there you go. All right. Okay. All right. So we titled the webcast today, um, Old Testament to New Testament, what changed, what didn't. I think a lot of people have problems with this. You know, this, this is one of the things we run into with the skeptics, uh, the modernists of our day. Anytime we want to talk about what's wrong with where society is going in terms of homosexuality or something, for example, and you cite some passage, and if you cite a passage from the Old Testament, people are going to say, well, uh, the Old Testament said that you're supposed to stone your children to death in certain cases and so on. And of course, what they're trying to say is uh, you, really, you really can't pay any attention to that. And they don't really care, to tell you the truth. They don't really care. But there are a lot of people who do care about following, following God's word, and they get confused by things like that. They get confused. Oh, yeah, so how do we know when we should pay attention to the Old Testament and when we shouldn't? And so there's a principle there that, that maybe we can talk about a little bit. I guess I'd like to take us over to Hebrews, the, the uh, 12th chapter. This is maybe not the first place that you'd think of going, but it's a place that was on my mind. Um, there, there's, a, there's a principle that is, is, you could just sum up as having reverence for God, for respecting God. And you see it, for example, in Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter, Verse 24, the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. He's alluded to the fact that uh, when God appeared at Mount Sinai, they should remember some 40 years earlier when that happened, the, the mountain burned with fire and so on. He says, well, our God is a consuming fire. You need to respect him. And, and in Hebrews chapter 12, the chapter ends with that. Our God is a consuming fire. Here's what I want to observe. Is whether you go to the Old Testament or whether you go to the New Testament, the idea that our God is one who is a consuming fire, who is to be treated as holy, whose word is to be regarded with reverence, and to whom we owe our obedience, that is a principle that is taught consistently, Old Testament to New Testament. God hasn't changed, and what, what the attitude that he expects from us hasn't changed. But the specifics of what he requires people to do to demonstrate a reverence for him is different in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And right here in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, there's a contrast between the mountain to which the Israelites came in the Old Testament, which was a mountain that was physical. It says in Hebrews 12, 18, you are not coming to a mount that might be touched. He's writing the New Testament believers and he's saying the mountain you've come to is not like that mountain in the Old Testament, one that was tangible, uh, but rather you've come to, in verse 22, Mount Zion under the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and so on. Um, so there's some particulars that are different, but there's some principles that are the same. And we should not lose sight of the fact that the Old Testament teaches uh, a concept of who God is, our sin and what it does to our relationship with God and our need to uh, look to God's word with respect and reverence. Yeah. And right there in that, Go ahead, John. Right, there in the, right there in that chapter, verse 25 in Hebrews 12, after he explains the difference, you're, you're not going to Mount Sinai, you're coming to Mount Zion 
uh, into this this uh, new covenant, into Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. In verse 25, he says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. And so then it's it, it, how I read that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's, it's if they were listening to Moses and his law was warning them from earth, it's more important to listen to Jesus and the things that he said and to follow those at, in a way. At least three times that argument is made in Hebrews. It's back in Hebrews chapter 2 after he's talked about Jesus being greater than the angels and the law of Moses came through angels. He says in chapter 2, verse uh, 2, if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, that which has been revealed in Christ? He does it again in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, where he talks about the individual who sins willfully. He says, verse 28 of Hebrews 10, a man that has said it not Moses' law dies without compassion on the word of two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment think ye shall he be judged worthy who's trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done despite under the spirit of grace. And then the passage that you're mentioning, Jonathan, in Hebrews chapter 12 and uh, verse 25. And, and what you see in each of those passages is in the, in the Old Testament, there was this, this principle established, you, you need to have respect for the word of God. But then there's also a contrast in the sense that, and the word that has come through Jesus Christ uh, stands preeminent even above that which came through angels or through Moses. Well, because what came through Moses and what came through angels was a shadow of the ultimate thing that was coming through Christ. Um, so I think that's, that gets us started. Yeah, yeah, we'll just, I, want to add, I want to add a fourth uh, uh, mention of that also in Hebrews, starting with the very first verse in chapter one. God, after it spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets and in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. So this is the way God spoke to, to man earlier through a lot of different ways. But this is the only way now that he speaks to us, or to anyone, is through the Son. John. Yeah, and we had a couple of comments come in. Um, we asked about um, where in the Bible, if anywhere, does it use the word ceremony or something along those lines. Um, two places, Lori posted in Exodus 12, talking about the Passover in verse 26, when your children come and ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Oh, very good. Um, and then also in the next chapter, in Exodus 13, talking about the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, similar thing you're to observe this ceremony. So very good. Couple of times that shows up. Thanks, Lord. Where who we had a viewer come up with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, great. What were those two activities under the ceremony? I was, I was writing the, the reference. Passover, celebrating yeah. Passover. Yeah, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread as well. So it, it's interesting. A lot of errors have some truth in it. You know, when Satan said to Eve you know, um, you're going to, your eyes will be opened. That part was true. And so are there some ceremony, largely ceremonial laws? Yes. that are no longer in effect. Are there some moral laws? Yes. But then when you start looking at the structure of the argument, here's another thing that's wrong with that chart. What would you say resting on the Sabbath is? A ceremonial thing or a moral thing, primarily? Are you talking about 
an argument from the chart or just or, well, an argument in general? Considering their viewpoint that that's uh, like, for example, here, here's one way to think about it. What does Romans 2 say that Gentile, like before Christ, what could Gentiles have done in Romans 2? Romans 2, 14, when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they're a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. So let's think about this for a minute. Uh, Confucius, hundreds of years before Jesus, said, don't do to other people what you wouldn't want them to do to you. That's not quite as good as do to others as you would want them to do to you. It's a little bit more proactive, but that's really, really very close to the yeah. golden rule that Jesus said. So let's just imagine we're all in a village somewhere 500 years before Christ. Maybe we're in Scotland or Wuhan, China. Or, or China. All right. So here's the four of us. I steal Drew's goat and eat it. What kind of person does Drew think I am? Not a good person at all. Beef, a, uh, yeah, yeah. whatever Drew else. Says, Drew says, why'd you steal my goat? and I kill him. What kind of person? Wait, who did you kill? Did you kill Drew? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you would say, oh, that's bad. You don't need the law of Moses. It's, it's not like, you know, people are incapable of real. Now, what people did was they would steal from other people and kill other people, but it's when it happens to us, we realize yeah. that's not good. So people were capable from nature of seeing that there was a creator and people from nature knew if I don't like it when other people lie to me, then if I was a good person, I wouldn't lie to them. But would a person from nature in China, 500 years before Christ or in Scotland, 500 years before Christ ever say, you know, I bet every seven days, <laughs> I should not work to remember that the Israelites were brought out of Egypt. <laughs> no, yeah, that's, that's kind of uh, Israelite-specific. Yeah, it's kind of a ceremonial memorial. It's a, it was important for the Jews, but it's not something inherently moral. But even the ceremonial laws had meaning yes. that looks forward, and yeah. you've got a nice little chart for this, right? <laughs> So we're going to skip this, and we're going to go to this. Yeah, Colossians 2, Paul tells the, his audience there, which is largely Gentiles, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in question of food, like whether you're eating pork or shellfish, or a Sabbath. These things are a shadow of the things to come. It's not that the New Testament comes along and just says, scrap all that. It was a shadow. Well, let's think of the first rest. In Genesis 2-1, after God created the earth, he did what? He rested. he rested on the seventh day. When God gave the Ten Commandments, including the Sabbath law, he connected it with the fact that God rested on the seventh day, and therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. All right, so we've got this idea of rest. And then when they're coming out of Egypt and the manna was given, uh, the manna, they were told to collect it over six days, and on Friday, they were collect a double portion so that they wouldn't collect it on when? On the seventh day. And then in the Ten Commandments, they are told to remember the Sabbath. And in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, 
each refers to a different event that it commemorates. Yeah. What are the two events? Well, in Deuteronomy, it's commemorating the fact that they were slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought you out from there. Slaves yeah. don't get days off, but now they're going to get a day off. And we already mentioned that in Exodus, uh, it, was it was looking back to the seventh day on which God rested. So let's start noticing just this theme of rest. It doesn't say God rested to get his strength together and then created everything. It said he created everything and then he rested. Yeah. Uh, on Friday, you collect a double portion and then you rested. Uh, six days you work and then you rest. Right. And did the Israelites get promised a land of rest before or after all their labor in Egypt? After. After. Yeah. Psalm 95 written later describes the land of Canaan if they would have obeyed, and this is, of course, discussed in Hebrews 3 and 4 that quote Psalm 95, and, and basically, what's the message of Psalm 95? Don't be like your fathers were, because I swore in my wrath, you shall not enter, enter, my, rest. enter my rest. And so, because they wouldn't trust in God and, and obey, they had to die out in the wilderness. Next generation came in. So they didn't get to enter into the rest. But hundreds of years later, David writes and says, don't be like your fathers were because they missed out on the rest. Mm -hmm. So the, the land of Canaan could have been a rest for them. But Hebrews points out there's still a rest to come. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29, somebody finished a quote. It starts with, come unto me, all ye that labor, Yep. And are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yeah. And then, uh, ultimately, then, if we look at the book of Revelation, Revelation 14, starting in verse, somebody read that text for us, please. 11, and then verse 14. All right. 11, 14 says, this, wait, for, I mean, 11, 14, I need to be 14. Yeah, 14, verse 11, and then verse 14. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night. They that worship the beast and his image, and whoso receives the mark of his name. And then coming down to verse 14, I saw and behold a white cloud, and on the cloud I saw one sitting like unto a son of man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Uh, verse 13. I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors where their works follow with them. So that should be verse 13. Yeah, so verse 11, what do the wicked have? No rest. No rest day and night. And then verse 13, yeah, I'm sorry. Wow, I've got the wrong verse here. Uh, in verse 13, it's the righteous that rest from their labors. Thanks for catching that. But what, what you see, though, is a, is a kind of theme here, right? Right. Mm -hmm. It's a shadow of that which is to come. Which is still the same theme that we have in our lives. So you have with God in Genesis 2. He works, creates the world, creates everything, and then rests. Uh, in Exodus, they're supposed to work in the week and then rest. And taking the promised land, they work and then rest, work and then rest. Um, and that follows through with us still today, that same pattern of working in our lives and then resting. And so in Hebrews chapter 4, uh, in verse 9, 
It says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And so it's the same pattern that follows all the way through. And so the point to, to, I think we want to stress here then is that when we look at some of these Old Testament laws, maybe somebody wants to call it ceremonial, whatever, the idea isn't that, well, it was just kind of some arbitrary law that's done and gone, it served its purpose, it's no more. It's really that it's something that was pointing to something that was coming, and now we have the realization, the full meaning of that. So it's not like the Sabbath is completely gone. The manifestation of the Sabbath that was the seventh-day observance that the Israelites had, that's, that's done. But the Sabbath is an idea that, that points forward, and you could do the same thing with circumcision. Uh, God didn't require everybody to be circumcised, but the Israelites, the, the, the fleshly circumcision was a sign of the covenant with, with that people. Um, but that fleshly circumcision anticipated a, a spiritual circumcision. And so we, we come to the New Testament, we see the circumcision that is not in the flesh. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, we see that language, and I'll turn there. Uh, having been buried, uh, verse 11, in whom you also were circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands, in the putting off of the body of the flesh, in the circumcision of, of Christ. And, and really, I think that in general, we can look at the Old Testament and we can see it, it can sit the, all the rules and regulations of the Old Testament that were specific to the Israelites. They, they had something in them that was anticipating the, the ultimate realization, the spiritual realization in Christ. Even what's interesting about that, even within the old law, with the circumcision, it pointed to a more deep, more fulfilled circumcision. So in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 16, Moses says, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your hearts and be no longer stubborn. Yeah. Um, so even within the law itself, it pointed to that idea. Oftentimes we'll see an outward rule, ritual, regulation in the Old Testament, and even at that very time, the, the, the spiritual meaning was being connected or was being, I'm not saying that well, but you know what I'm trying to say. Let's throw out a few Old Testament verses and then have the panel discuss whether or not that's applicable to today and why or why not. Okay. Okay. So Proverbs chapter 15, verse one, a gentle answer turns away wrath but, you know, a grievous answer stirs up anger. Well, that's just the Old Testament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should we ignore that because it's in the Old Testament? Uh, no, that, that is, that is, that's just the, that's, uh, the hum, that's human nature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Israelites are seed of Abraham, circumcise your children on the eighth day. Does that apply to us? We have a different kind of circumcision, and that circumcision in the flesh was the eighth day, um, but we have a different kind of circumcision. Well, wasn't the, the physical circumstances, wasn't that a sign of the covenant between God and his people at that time? Yeah. So if there's a new covenant today, if we use that circumcision as a, we're, we're, we're doing a covenant that doesn't really exist. And so, and so when you think about the contrast in the covenants in Jeremiah 31, I'm going to make a new covenant. I'll put my law within you. I'll write it on your heart and, and all my people shall know the Lord. 
um, then you see a new kind of sign of the covenant. It, the circumcision is not the circumcision in the flesh, but it's the circumcision in the putting off of the flesh. It's the, the, the works of the flesh. It's the circumcision of the heart. All right. Well, under the old law, though, then that, that implies under the old law, that the opposite would be true, that you, w- you would have to teach them about the Lord. Right, right. And, that, and that's and it, it, the way I'm looking at that, correct me if I'm wrong, but to be a Jew, a Hebrew under the old law, to have that relationship with God, you just have to be of the, the lineage of Abraham. And so as a child, you don't know God yet, but you are one of his people as a little baby, you, you don't, you have that relationship, but you have to then teach him about the Lord. Is that the right way to look at that? Yeah. Samuel says in first Samuel, the third chapter and um, verse. So where is it here? Uh, verse seven, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He's a young child and he did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. Um, he was a part of the covenant people, but the covenant people were defined outwardly rather than inwardly. Their circumcision was outward rather than inward. Not that none of them were devoted inwardly, but the people as a whole were defined outwardly. And, and the, and the result of that was to come to know the Lord inwardly, you, you had to be taught the Lord, but under the new covenant, God's people are those who are defined inwardly. We've got a question, uh, from Joe. He says, does this mean we have to do this? with each law or precept. And with all the hundreds of laws in the Old Testament, if we thought, oh, this one, that one, this one, that one, actually, we're going to do a few here really quickly. And there's some lessons in them that make it easy to apply some of those same lessons to other ones. Like a lot of the things in Proverbs are just applicable, they're, they're human nature. But let's do three real quick. Yeah, because Scott, we got four minutes, and I think that's an important point to nail down, so do it. All right, so there's this type. Leviticus chapter 6, you've committed a sin, you take an animal to the priest, and you it's to be offered for your sin. Is that still applicable today, and why, why or why not? No, that's not applicable today, because in Hebrews and elsewhere in the Bible, it makes very clear that Jesus is our sacrifice. We no longer need animal sacrifice. For and he sacrificed, it's to be remembered no more, how many times? Once, Once for all. all. Once and for all. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24, talking to this nation of people that had a bunch of ungodly people in it. If, uh, if, uh, if you put away your wife, you write her a bill of divorcement. Uh, she goes, she marries another man. But if then, then that man marries her, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is that the law we're under today? No. Because Jesus said? He says, in the beginning, it was not so. And he takes us, he says, for your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you or suffered you to put away your wives. Uh, But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say unto you, so what we see there is in the law of Moses, there was an allowance. There was really even a concession. You could say God made, given the fact that he was dealing with an outwardly defined people. Um, And so Jesus takes us to the higher standard. Right. And really quick, uh, Second Chronicles 28 or 29, I think it's 29, Hezekiah is reinstituting uh, worship uh, more correctly at the time. And so they bring a lot of animals for sacrifice. Uh, there's incense burning. There's animals to be sacrificed. They bring the trumpeters. The trumpeters are to trumpet. The singers are to sing. 
the animals are to be slaughtered. Sunday, should we come in with incense, like you'll see in an Episcopalian or Catholic church, um, trumpeters, which you'll see in a lot of churches, uh, animal sacrifices, which you'll still see among the Samaritans at least once a year, et cetera, et cetera. Is that what our worship should look like today? So all of those things you could put in the category of, well, the, the, the incense and the trumpeters, things made with hands, which is the language that the writer of Hebrews uses in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, especially chapter 9, um, of the things that were unique to the Old Testament but had meaning foreshadowing spiritual things. And incense, for example, uh, we see it connected with prayer. And you can think of that sweet smoke going heavenward as a, as a very appropriate way of physically representing what is the reality of prayer. Uh, but the prayer is the reality. So no, we don't burn the incense and blow the trumpets and sacrifice the animals, but we do do what those things were foreshadowing. We have the sacrifice that is the fruit of our lips. We make melody from our heart. We offer our prayers up to God. Scott, you're muted. Scott, you are muted and you're talking. Now you're unmuted. No, you're muted. Scott, you're muted. There we go. Now we're good. I was just saying it was starting to get noisy here, so I was muting to let you know. <laughs> We are out of time. And, uh, yeah, we are out of time. So, go ahead, Drew. Do you want to make that last point, or do you want to pick this up another time? Uh, let's just read this text, and we'll close with this. Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 23. Before faith came, we were kept in ward under the law. Verse 24. The law has become our tutor to bring us to Christ. Verse 25, now that faith has come, you are no longer under a tutor. Good verse to end on. Thank you, guys. Very good discussion. There's a lot more we can probably talk about this, which maybe we will at another time. I want to invite everybody back next week, Tuesday at 2 p.m. For those of you that are listening to this on the podcast that you download, we're very help, uh, thankful that you guys, are, ladies and gentlemen, are listening to it. We have a lot of people coming down, downloading it each, each week. And if you have questions and comments that you wanna, want the panelists to talk about, go to BibleQuest.tv. On the homepage, you should see a form right then and there. Just fill it out. Uh, check around the rest of the site as well, but let us know what your thoughts and questions are. So any other thoughts, guys, before we shut it down? Take care. See you next week.